But if you look at and and, and maybe a little less med device, but particularly particularly digital mm -hmm. health, there is very little clinical evidence that a lot of this stuff yep. works. Right? Um, it, it it may increase access, and that's important. Mm -hmm. But in terms of looking at outcomes, and if you look at the studies that exist, even for the large unicorn companies, very few and far between. The studies are arguably of poor quality, and you know the the you know the studies that are done don't necessarily focus on the target market that they're actually selling into. So, you know, as we look at sort of evidence-based medicine, and then you look at the health innovation space, um, again, particularly for digital health, there there's a huge gap, right? Um, and so. This is kind of one of the interesting things to me is how do we begin to close that gap? So, you know, innovation is great. Getting things out is critically important. Um, ventures need to get, you know, they have a certain time limits. They've got investor commitments. You need to run fast, but that doesn't mean we can sort of swipe or should we swipe all the sort of clinical, um, you know, due diligence. Venture capital, what place does it have in medicine? Does it have one? Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dr. Amal Deshpande, the senior director of the health ecosystem at Mars Discovery District, uh, the co-chair of Halo Health, and so, so much more. This time we chatted more about the role of VC in healthcare and his understanding of what VC is overall. Let's get started. Well, I, I got two questions here. So my first is, not all of our audience may understand what health tech investing is like. You said due diligence. Can you can you break down in a five-year-old's vocabulary what actually doing due diligence or your day-to-day -day work as a venture partner at AIoT is? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's that's a good question. I think it I think it differs in terms of how you do it. But essentially due diligence really is looking at in this case a particular startup company, so a company that wants to basically do something and obviously in the healthcare field, as far as I'm concerned, um, but it can be in any field and just looking at the company through, I'll say different lenses to determine what's the, you know, what the probability is that this company will make it out the other mm -hmm. end. So, you know, you want to look at some, you know, I'm not going to go into the details, but, but I think there's sort of some common things you want to look at the team, like, like who's actually doing this? Like, have they done it before? What's their experience? Are they in it for the long haul? Or is this kind of what we just finished talking about? Is it just something sexy for them to do? Um, they just want to be an entrepreneur and put it on their CV. Or are they really in, you know, into it? What's the technology like, right? Like, is this really exciting or is this telehealth 1.0? And I don't mean any sort of, you know, I don't mean to deride any, any telehealth companies that are doing some excellent work out there, but you know, what, what's the technology behind that? What's the moat? Can they protect it or can someone else just, you know, if this turns out to be success, can they can they do it uh, tomorrow? Is there any science behind the technology? Are clinicians, if it's clinician facing, are they going to use it? If it's patient facing, are patients going to use it? Um, and, and then you want to look at sort of you know venture is venture's a funny beast. There's a lot of great technologies and a lot of great businesses. Not all of them are venture, right? And a bit of that means you have to understand the other side of that, which is what's the person who's giving you money looking for, and they're, what they're looking for is things that scale really quickly. Um, that you can put a lot of money to really sort of get rocket fuel to help that company go to the next level. Um, and not, and you can be a good business and not actually be a venture business, right? So you're looking at what the market is like. Um, and, and then you're looking at sort of traction. What have they done? Right. I mean, so have they been able to, could be a great idea, but if you can't actually make the product or deliver the service, or you can't get anyone to buy this product or use the service, 
um, that doesn't, that's not a business. That's a great idea. So, so I think there's a lot of lens and there's more you can look at, but you know, that's kind of what due diligence is looking at all those different aspects to see, or at least to, to have some sense of, of idea of what the probability is that this company and this team and this technology is going to make it out to the other end to actually be a big business. Mm -hmm. And to kind of add on to that, um, you, you've talked about how you, how you essentially make an informed investment, informed bet on whether or not this company yeah. is going to succeed and make an impact. Um, but as a clinician, you can also offer amazing things such as clinical insight, connections to patients, connections to uh, everyone who you've met during your clinical career. So those are incredibly potent tools that the startup can also put to use as well to increase their chance of success which ties back to Halo Health overall, because essentially with a diverse network of physicians, then you're able to provide value specific to a startup in a specific specialty that wants that advice. So um, you mentioned that you, there are amazing things that could be going on with Halo Health. Um, apart from doing the due diligence overall, um, what directions uh, is Halo Health going to go in or how can you shape the ecosystem through your work with Halo Health and with AIoT. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about specifics Halo Health because we haven't sort of sorted sure. that out. But, but I think the goal, you know, the goal of Halo Health, you know, it's it's about two years old, two years and a bit now. Um, started by you know several really well-meaning physicians, and there's and many of them are still there. I think the goal is, you know, kind of what your question was earlier about medical students. This is more sort of focused on physicians, which is how do we get more physicians aware and engaged mm -hmm. in, in healthcare innovation at whatever level they want to be. And so to me, you know, that, that's a process. Um, you know, we have to attract more and more members over time. We have to get our members actually not only in front of, you know, ventures to invest in, but we also need to get the whole ecosystem behind them. So how do we, how do we get, you know, VCs, which is the next level up to take us seriously? As you said, we have a lot of clinicians that can help with that due diligence. So if you're you know, coming up with a new orthopedic device, instead of just looking at the technology and looking at the business of the team, wouldn't it be great to have an orthopod in the room say, you know what, I would never use this shoulder transplant or I would absolutely use this knee replacement because it's much better, right? So we're starting to provide services for our members where they can now sort of help VCs or, or help other organizations to go through the clinical aspects of some of the technology and give those founders some real sort of frontline feedback. So that's kind of another service. So even if we're not investing, just providing them with feedback on how that works. And, and with AIoT, I mean, I think it's, 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 much, it's very much similar. Um, I think the one thing that's really fascinating um, and that we're sort of noodling right now is if you look at a lot of health technology, and I'm taking biotech off the table for a second, but if you look at, and, and, and maybe a little less med device, but particularly, particularly digital yeah. health, there is very little clinical evidence that a lot of this stuff works, yeah. right? Um, it, it, it may increase access and that's important, mm -hmm. but in terms of looking at outcomes, and if you look at the studies that exist, even for the large unicorn companies, very few and far between the studies are arguably of poor quality. And, you know, the, the, you know, the studies that are done don't necessarily focus on the target market that they're actually selling into. So, you know, as we look at sort of evidence-based medicine, and then you look at the health innovation space, um, again, particularly for digital health, there, there's a huge gap, right? Um, and so 
this is kind of one of the interesting things to me is how do we begin to close that gap? So, you know, innovation is great. Getting things out is critically important. Um, ventures need to get, you know, they have a certain time limits. They've got investor commitments. You need to run fast. But that doesn't mean we can sort of swipe or should we swipe all the sort of clinical, um, you know, due diligence, shall we say, sort of the, the evidence base underneath the table. And, and I think that that's something that clinicians can have a great input mm -hmm. on, and that's something that we can help drive. And so that's something that I think will be interesting going forward, um, is being able to provide services that allow digital health companies to prove their technology in a more evidence-based manner. So that not only is this cheaper, better, faster, but it also has better outcomes, which ultimately is what's, what's important, mm -hmm. right. For, for our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So, so that's something that I would think is, yeah, is, is something that'll happen in the future. So you're talking health technology assessment. Yeah, in a way, in a way for sure. But health technology assessment kind of has a lot of holes in it, right? Yeah. Health technology assessment often takes, cobbles together a lot of existing data. It doesn't really apply it necessarily to specific markets or specific regions. It really takes a very meta level yeah. approach and then applies it at a regional level because you got to remember most of this health technology assessment is done on a regional level or a jurisdictional level, right? Like if the Alberta government or the Ontario government wants it, they'll go and ask for this, but, but none of those studies may have done, been done in Ontario mm -hmm. or Alberta, right? They may have been done in whatever, South America. And if it works in South America, it doesn't mean it works here or vice versa. And so. I think there's a lot of gaps in that system that, and a lot of improvement to be had. It's not an easy lift, but I think that's ultimately where we will have to go and where we need to go to really get the most out of this innovation. And that's, that's a bit paradoxical because if we're to try to prove the utility of a certain digital health product in a certain locale, then sure, you might get a better fit. But by nature, the fact that you may need to do multiple health tech assessments in different areas to prove utility in those different areas that might wear out a startup's, uh, a startup's runway. Um, am I incorrect or is that a paradox that, that, that you've heard of? Well, I mean, it is, and it isn't, it, it is, if you think you need to do it the old way, yeah. but remember we're digital there, there's much better ways that we can do, um, you know, we can gain clinical evidence. It doesn't mean we have to do an RCT every mm -hmm. time. Like we can have, you know. You know, federated databases, for example, where I can collect data with all the privacy and security I need, just captured at a regional level, and then actually just probe that database without actually stopping the company from doing what it what it needs to do, right? Um, and maybe when I probe it for my patient set in Toronto, it works really well, and I probe it for my patient set in Timmins, it doesn't do very well. So, what does that tell me? It just tells me that my technology and my 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 you know my customer market needs to be much more focused. Does that always help ventures? No, but at the same time, you could argue it actually potentially opens up other markets that they're also not looking at, yeah. right? So I think you'll have to look net net how that works out. I'm not going to say it works for everyone, but if our ultimate goal is to make a better health system, I think that's the way we've got to start looking at it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this huge move to what we call sort of real world evidence, right? Cause that's, you know, clinical trials are great, but I've rarely seen or treated a patient in my practice that looks like they'd be eligible for a clinical Fair trial because they're usually not yeah. right. It's it, real patients don't come with only one disease or with never having medications or, yeah. you know, um, yeah. being, you know, perfect BMI, like show me those, they don't exist, um, for the most part. So it's really, so to me, real world evidence is much more impactful and, and there are ways to get it.
right? We need to we need to be you know mindful of of all the privacy issues, but there are ways to get it. Um, and I think that's much more meaningful for understanding what is this technology doing for this patient side in this in this area. Mm-hmm. And 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 again, I think it only over the long term, it does it helps ventures. It validates their technology. It shows them where it works, what it does, and what the what the outcomes are. And I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've we've dealt pretty deep into the the development work associated with uh, roles leading or roles shaping the angel and venture space. But I want to shift back into your role as an investor, because that that's something that we haven't mm-hmm. talked about much on this podcast. So what are the hardest things uh, that you experience as a early stage health tech investor? What are the, what are the few core issues that you wish that you didn't have to deal with every day or are there such things? Losing money. Fair enough. <laughs> that's a big one. No, I mean, I think so. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, so how would I explain that? So I guess the first, so first of all, I'm not a VC, I'm an angel. And, and, and I think the first thing you need to understand is those two are very different, mm-hmm. right? And, and why are they different? And, and this is, this is my perspective. They both support entrepreneurs or founders at a very early stage. But to me, an angel investor is really, and, and VCs will say this, but I really do think this happens at an angel, is taking a bet on the person, right? It's kind of friends and family round and an angel investor just slightly above the friends and family in the last F, which is fools, right? Um, but so, you know, that, that, but that's the reality is I'm, I'm giving money to this, this founder because I think they're an amazing founder. Yeah. Like, like they are, they just have great ideas. They've got great passion. They've got, they've shown they can execute on doing things in general. Well, maybe not this particular event, but they've shown that they've got a track record. Um, and I'm giving them a little leeway to go and have fun. If that turns out to end up being a phenomenal investment, that's great. But the reality is if I'm doing this to make money as an angel, there are far better ways to make money because most of those bets are not going to turn out to be very good. Unless, again, unless you're doing this, you're a super angel. And there are some who kind of do this on a, and have a really deep knowledge. But I would argue those super angels are VC quality. They just like to do it on their own, right? And they're, they, have, they have their bank sizes big enough that they can put decent check sizes, but they've got some real power to do it. But the, most of the angels, that's a, it's a tough. So unless you actually, comes back to, unless you enjoy it, Unless you enjoy supporting great founders and just giving them a chance to do what they need to do, if your goal is to take money, is to make money, I would argue it's not not the best place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that's kind of the first thing. I don't know if there's any real sort of challenges or worrying because I think if you if you abide by sort of you know prime directive number one, what I just said, then I think the rest falls into place. I think if you don't do that, then you worry for sure. Yeah. Right, because then you're worried. Like, where did my money go? Where's my update? How's the traction going? What's your runway like? How are you gonna like? You start to worry about all these things that, frankly, as an angel, you can't control, yeah. nor should you. So um, that that's where sort of a VC comes in, sits on the board. They have great insight into what's going on. They can make decisions. They can help the founders find people that they need, either operationally or other board. So it's a very different game, and I think people often kind of get them get them confused, and that can be a bit dangerous sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to switch the lens, um, what tribulations do early stage companies face when interacting angels? Wow. 
in, in terms of in terms of you know getting getting them to invest in their company sure. or, or, or getting in or, getting their foot in the door and then getting invested. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think angels, like any other investor, have certain lenses that they look at ventures with. So they've all, if you want to think of it as they're already biased, even before you get to the door, they're biased, right? So if someone has a sad, but, but real interaction with oncology because their mother died and got poor care or, or whatever, even their pet died, they may not be willing to look at anything other than oncology, even if it's a great, amazing, whatever, uh, tech for, for cardiac care. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they come with very specific biases. So that's often, so you could be pitching a great venture, wrong person, right? So, so I think that's always a challenge is sort of aligning, um, you know, who, who you're pitching to. And again, that's VC, that's angel. I think the other thing about angels is, um, know what their background is, right? So, you know, angels come in all sorts, sorts of, you know, shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And particularly if we're talking healthcare, um, you may need to do a lot of explaining if someone has no healthcare background, right? And, and you got to remember, just like you're trying to maybe give away a piece of your company for, for equity, you're also taking on a bit of a headache because that's now becomes a very close, I'm not going to quite say partner, but certainly a shareholder. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is getting calls from them on a weekly basis saying like, what's going on? What's happening? What are you doing? Like, what are or distracting you and telling you, you know, hey, you should meet this guy. He could be great for your team. And those are distractions. So that's something you got to put up with. But if they've given you money, that's kind of what you're, what you're asking for as well. So you've got to just make sure that that's a fair trade at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So from a venture's perspective, I think that's just, you know, while angel money may seem easy, it, it, it can come with a price, right? Just as VC money does. It's just, and I could argue it's even a bigger price because the check sizes are usually smaller. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and the last thing you want is, 10 angels, you got to go. Cause it's like herding cats, right? It's like, uh, you don't need that. So, um, just, yeah, just, just beware yeah. is what I would say. So make sure that you're actually treat them just like you would any, any, any other, you know, capital providers. What are they providing you? Like, do you, do you want, and I'm not again, casting dispersions, anyone, but do you, do you want someone who's like an accountant on your healthcare team, which may, may be greatly advantageous, right? Um, do you want a dentist on a cardiac care kind of application? Mm, I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Right. So in other words, I, I think there has to be some value add to, to that when, when you're a venture and looking at them and saying, okay, it's not just the check, but they've got to provide some connection, some, some uplift other than the dollars. Mm -hmm. So last question on the investing space. Um, the AOT page talks about, uh, exponential early stage startups. What separates an exponential startup from a non-exponential startup? Good question. If, 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 if I absolutely hundred percent knew the answer to that, I would have been retired a long time ago. Right. Um, so, so the, so that exponential, I guess is, is I, I would divide that into two categories. I think there's this notion of, you know, and I think, I think Peter Diamandis was the one who brought it out and I could be wrong with that, but the idea of ex exponential technologies, mm -hmm. it was right. Yep. So these are, you know, the, probably the canonical example is AI machine learning, right? Which is just sort of gets better over time. You hit an inflection point and it just kind of goes up, not even up into the right. It just goes straight up. So there's looking at, in this case, ventures that employ some of those kinds of technologies, right? 
um, as, a, as a base layer to actually deliver the service. So that's kind of one exponential. So we're looking at stuff like that as opposed to um, maybe more sort of traditional kinds of technology that I'm not thinking anything in particular off the top of my head, but things that are sort of things we use every day and maybe they're just incrementally better. That's not what we're interested in. So that's, that's one. Two, I think exponential is obviously founders and ventures that can really get a lot of traction very quickly in what they do, right? So what does that mean? Well, probably they're not capital intensive. They're not building big things that require a lot of dollars to get out the door, right? So obviously this focuses us on mainly digital kind of application software where the, you know, where the marginal cost is close to zero. So every time you kind of onboard someone, you know, basically you pocket all the revenue because there's not a lot of incremental costs. And when you, when you onboard that individual, they add value to all the other individuals. So you get this kind of, you know, this network effect as, as, as it's well known. These are kind of things that when you hit that inflection point, AI or no AI, they really kind of, again, go up and to the right. So that's kind of exponential, where as opposed to the traditional model where, you know, you make one, you sell one, you make one, you sell one, right? It's, it's, it's linear, it works, it's a great business, but it's not an exponential business, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's just two very different models. So that, that's, that's what the exponential um, would say. And obviously the technology and that network effect are, are often very tied together, yeah. right? But, but they can be separate. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So now taking a step away from all your work in the angel and investing space, um, you started Reboot Health. What was the inspiration behind that? <laughs> and why do it? You, you said you like talking to people. It's not work to you, but what, why podcast? I've always been fascinated by podcasts. I mean, so I listen to a number of podcasts. I just like the medium. I think it's a great medium. You can do it almost anywhere. You can do it almost anytime. Um, you know, here in Toronto and don't do any more driving downtown, sitting in traffic. You could, you know, it's great to listen to a podcast. Um, you get some learnings. I mean, now I don't even know what the number is, probably north of what, 2 million podcasts. If you count sort of all sort of Apple store and Spotify and all those things. The amount of learnings you can get on any topic is phenomenal, and and so that's where I that's where I first got into it, um, and I think there's some phenomenal, um, you know, podcast out there with with hosts and well produced, and so I think it's a it's a really enjoyable way to 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 digest knowledge. So so that was my sort of interest in it. Um, you know, I, I I was going to do something around cannabis, which was my sort of academic topic. Um, never pull the trigger. I did one or two episodes, but I really, you know, for it fizzled. It was, it was done with someone under someone else's banner head and it just didn't work out. And so I let that go. And so I said, okay, if I'm going to do this again, this was in and around the time that sort of, you know, AIOT came, Hello Health came. And so I figured, Hey, why not just double down and, and, uh, you know, again, give, uh, expose or showcase some of the great founders. And what a great way to do it in a, on a, on a medium that I, I just enjoy interacting with. Uh, and, and, and most people, I think it's also easy to get people to do it, right? People are usually happy to talk about their work, whether it's a clinician who just published a recent publication, whether it's a founder who's like just launched a recent product, whether it's an investor who wants to talk about sort of their thesis or, you know, get on the podcast to get extra deal flow. So I think it works for everyone from different perspectives. Um, and it's just an easy way to, to really sort of connect with people. And, and as I said, I love I think there's just a lot of short form content out these days. And I think it's great for just quick kind of, you know, getting headlines. But if you really want to get deep and understand how people think, 
Um, you need to do it long form and that's either like reading a long blog, which is fine. Hard to do that when you're driving um, or doing some other stuff or don't recommend it. But podcasts can, can get that same kind of, you know, um, insight in a much easier and digestible format. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, and that's the part that I really enjoy is really digging deep and understanding people. So the real deep question here is how do you get the name reboot? Yeah. Good question. Um, you know what? I, do, I, I know I got a lot of flack for it from some people cause they just didn't like the idea of rebooting health. They thought health works kind of just fine. Thank you very much. Um, but you know, I didn't think so. So initially, initially the podcast was going to solely be on focusing digital health, hence reboot Fair enough. health, like just like a computer, you reboot it up and, and off you go. I think, I think I've decided that, um, health innovation is too large to just put into digital health. I'm fascinated yeah. by digital health. I consider it like the last mile of healthcare for sure. We need a lot of it, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in other spaces. So the name stuck and I just sort of expanded the, and, and, you know, the, the other domains as it were. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that was, but that was the concept is reboot health is sort of looking at innovation. How are we going to maybe not fully rebuild the healthcare system, but certainly, you know, restructure it in a meaningful way. Cause I think it's long overdue. And I think there's, um, there's some low hanging fruit and there's some other things that will take as much longer to do, but I think, yeah, cause someone, you got to plug away somewhere. Mm -hmm. So this is my little, my, my little bit to help innovation. So talking about helping innovation, the last thing that we'll talk about is your recent senior directorship uh, with Mars Health, with the Mars Health Ecosystem. So I think there are two questions here. Number one, what is the Mars Health Ecosystem? And number two, what do you plan to do or what are you doing as a senior director? Sure. So, so Mars is, you know, I'll give you the tagline. Mars is the largest innovation hub in North America. And so what it does is it helps to support ventures at various stages, um, through various means to basically deliver, deliver impact in whatever way that means. And one of our two, there are, there are multiple domains, but one of our two largest are clean tech and health sciences. The others are sort of FinTech and, and SAS, um, are, are, are the other domains that we work on. And so. We take in ventures again at various stages. They can be seed, Series A, and sort of move them through various aspects and training for for areas that they may not have within their sort of purview mm -hmm. right now. So if that means they don't have a strong sales process, we'll help them to get a stronger process through advisors and through mentoring. Um, if it means we know they need some help seconding another talent. Uh, uh, for their team to help build out the team. We'll try and make those connections. If it means capital, we'll help them connect capital. And the latter part really sort of with the capital and the customers, that's really the ecosystem that we're building. So we work with other groups, organizations. We work with venture capitalists. We work with large multinational uh, corporations as well to basically, if you want to think about it as soft land, the venture into the ecosystem, depending on what they need. So we'll do a warm handshake with the VC. If the venture's ready, they've got a good product, um, you know, they, they've got it built out, they've got a good team, they've got a great roadmap, then now they need the funding. We'll do a warm handshake with an appropriate VC that we have in our syndicate. Um, sometimes multinational corporations come in because they're not the greatest innovators, but they really want to know what's happening in their space. So they'll host various events and then we'll showcase some of the technology from some of the ventures that we have in our portfolio. 
and they'll put on an event, whether it's a hackathon, whether it's a sort of a pitch session, whether it's something of this nature, we'll do that. Um, and, and so those are sort of the major things that kind of go on in terms of and hooking them up with the ecosystem. And then there's other ecosystem players that, you know what, we'll talk to them. We'll have sort of regular meetings. If they've got some interesting ventures that are very early stage um, and need further talent that Mars can provide, we'll bring them on board in Mars and sort of circulate them through, through our programs and try and get them out the other end. So it's really trying to build a robust ecosystem with all the different players because, you know, um, yeah, these things don't happen in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. I mean, building a business, you need, you need customers, you need access to talent, you need access to capital. All that has to come. It comes repeatedly. Um, it's not just a one-time thing. So it's really building a robust ecosystem where, where we can, uh, you know, get ventures to access those, those elements quickly, because one of the, you know, one of the most costly things, um, resources, any founder will tell you is time because once the time is gone, it doesn't come back. So they really need to run and they really need to do this quickly. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of what we do to help them, um, to navigate that. And obviously my focus is, is health sciences. So that incorporates medical devices, digital health and biotech. So any ventures that come within, um, within the Mars ecosystem, um, those are the ventures that I focus on helping to connect them to, to the, to the VCs, um, to the other ecosystem players as, and as well as to sort of talent if, if they're, that exists in the system. That is an immense job. And honestly, it sounds. Uh, that the work that Mars is doing to support venture seems immensely important to be able to put all the, all the ingredients necessary to make a successful startup in one place. Because if you're spending time looking for these resources, that's again, time wasted spent looking for resources and time failing spent exactly. looking for those resources too. But, uh, exactly correct. we're, that's we're, right. we're at about 58 minutes. So I, I recognize that we're running okay. out of time. So I'll leave you some space here. Do you have any pluggables to plug? No, I mean, I don't have any pluggables. Um, you know, I, I would encourage people if they're interested in the health sciences, uh, space to, you know, to look at, uh, uh, health impact week at Mars, which is coming up probably in May or June. It's a great sort of two day conference that uh, we host where we kind of invite a lot of our ecosystem players, invite ventures and panelists to come and take a look at that. Um, yeah, I'll do, I'll do, a, I'll do a shameless plug for my own podcast, rebootheealth.io. So, you know, if you want to listen to some great founders, not me and my jab, jibber and jabbering, but uh, some great founders in the ecosystem, have a listen there. And uh, yeah, and if you're a clinician, I would say, um, you know, take a look at Halo Health if you're interested in getting more involved in, uh, in the ecosystem. So we'd love, love to have you on board. You've got so many plugs that I could mistaken you for power bar. <laughs> Um, and you can find How It's Med at howitsmed.com and at How It's Med on Twitter and LinkedIn. Till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmed.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time. Bye-bye.